Let's pray. Our Father who is in heaven, Lord, as we prepare to consider the weighty matters in Lord's Day 22, let us also see the blessedness and the joy in this topic of death, in this topic of the life everlasting. Oh Lord, we know that in your Son, Jesus Christ, to whom we have been, uh, we have been uh, made a possession, in whom we have been or delivered, and to whom we are united, Lord, we have all confidence and assurance and trust. Lord, we know that even in the seasons of sorrow, even in witnessing the, the effects of the fall still that are upon this earth, Lord, we anticipate that great joy in that day when we would be gathered together directly before your presence. Father, cause us to hear and to listen, Lord, in earnestness, not only with our ears, Lord, but cause us to hear with our hearts. Lord, let us be removed from the distractions and the busyness, the various things that often will try to take our attention away or that the devil would use to distract us from your word. But by your Holy Spirit, work in us, O Lord, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, which if you were using the church Bibles, you will find on page uh, 762. Isaiah chapter 40, and we'll read uh, just the first 11 verses. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning our reading at verse 1. Hear now the word of our Lord. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, you herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, and say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. Truly, the grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our Lord endures forever. Our scripture text will be in particular, verse 1, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. And I ask if you'll turn with me in the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnal to page 881, where we read from Lord's Day 22, 
Question and answer 57 to 58. Lord's Day 22, this being the last article of the Apostles' Creed, the things that are necessary to believe. Now, Christian, how does the resurrection of the body comfort you? Well, not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life to Christ its head, but also my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. And how does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? Well, even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, so after this life I will have perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has ever imagined, a blessedness in which to praise God eternally. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, 56 million, 4 million, 679,452, 153,425, 107, at 1.8. Those are the 2023 statistics for how many people die every year, every month. Each day, each hour, minute, and second. From the first words of this sermon to the time that I'm finishing the sentence here, about 21 people somewhere on earth will have left this life. Even now, 24 people. Man dies and wastes away. And seeing that his days are numbered, that his life is determined, there are appointed limits in this life that we cannot pass, as Job 4 confesses, or put in the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes, what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. The living know they will die. In our heart of hearts, we know that each death is a reminder of man's reward for sin. We know that death is an unnatural invader upon the original order of creation. And with the death of a loved one, unbelievers may languish as those without hope. But for the Christian, when a brother or a sister in Christ passes out of this life, we are comforted. Of course, yes, there, there are tears. There are certainly tears. But the bitterness of grief is mixed with something of a sweetness, isn't it? We confess. We confess in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So tonight in Lord's Day 22, we shall see that God promises eternal comfort in the resurrection of the dead. And that is our theme. A sober one, but again, a comfort. God promises eternal comfort in the resurrection of the dead. And he does so in three ways. There's first the comfort for the soul. Second, comfort for the body. And there's comfort now and forever. We'll consider here first the comfort for our soul. Now, my wife and I, we've lived in the area for just about uh, 
well, since starting an internship here almost a year now, we got to see one winter come, and we survived that as Californians. But it's, it's been a, it was a very rewarding thing to go through the winter and then come into spring in this recent summer and getting to see all the, the vibrant, beautiful green. Perhaps you're used to it. Maybe you take it for granted, but this is a remarkably beautiful part of the country. And even now, we can look around on our drive over to church or work or whatever, and we see how the corn has and the soy has grown tall. And yet, we know that its life is almost done, isn't it? We can see it maturing and, and drying already. And the plants and the trees around us, they too will wither and die. And soon again, it's going to be winter. But when you drive around and you see the plants coming through their full harvest, when you, when you think about their life cycle, do you think about your own seasons in life? You know, some are in the spring of, of childhood or maybe in the summer of their strength. Others are, are, are in, in their maturation of autumn. And some are in life's winter. Our lives, they sure do pass like the seasons, says Solomon. There is a time for every matter under heaven. There is a time to be born. There is a time to die. There is a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. And no man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death. That day is appointed. For some it isn't in their spring. Others in winter. Indeed, all flesh is grass, and, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. And surely the people are grass. So said Isaiah. Now, are you afraid to die, beloved? Are you afraid to die? Maybe some of you fear the actual experience of the moment of death. The, the ultimate weakening of the body, the feeling of floating away. Perhaps what you fear is leaving your loved ones. You know, who's going to take care of my children? My parents would be heartbroken and alone. Maybe what you fear is leaving what's familiar. This world, this, this area, this community, this life. What will heaven be like? What's it like to be away from the body and with the Lord directly? And really, with each of those cases, it's not so much death that we are afraid of. Perhaps more of a fear of the unknown, a, a, a new, unfamiliar step in existence. No, a real fear of death, a true fear of death, comes from one fact. The real fear of death is this. It's a truth. Every person knows, but suppresses an unrighteousness. That's Romans 14, 12. Every one of us shall give account of himself to God. That is the real fear behind death. On that day, when we give an account to him, on that day, all reliance upon earthly things are going to be of no use to us, no help. We can't take our gold and our possessions with us to pay off our sin. We can't offer up our assets as collateral. We can't appeal to any of our academic credentials. 
We can't go and say, hey, this isn't real, this isn't going on, you can't judge me. Science disproves it. We can't enter a plea, don't take me yet, my child, my spouse, my parent, my dog needs me. And all the experiences that gave us a sense of fulfillment in this life, all of our work experience, our skills, our hobbies, no benefit. Naked as he came from his mother's womb, so man shall return and take nothing from the fruits of his labor, which he might carry away in his hand. Ecclesiastes 5. Not one thing will accompany your soul to the judgment seat of God. Unless you believe in Christ alone with your whole heart. Because when, whereas all earthly bonds are, are severed, and we have no other lifeline, no other attachment with us from this world into the next, the spirit that unites us, that attaches us in our soul to Christ remains. That is what goes with you. Even on that day, in standing before him giving an account, Christ is still the mediator of his people. Oh, yes, and amen, the, the Apostle Paul, he declared that I am persuaded what? That neither death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, powers, the things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord, which is in our mediator. So question answer 57 has confessed, yes, my soul will be taken immediately immediately, right away, after this life, without a moment of hesitancy, to Christ, its head. Is that a comfort to you, dear friends? You remember how Jesus had promised the murderer crucified beside him. Today you shall be with me in paradise. Do you wholeheartedly believe that those words are for you too. That you might be assured not only of your salvation, but a blessed reception from Christ, our God, our King, and our Savior. Yes, your life shall wither as the grass, but the word that's preached to you today endures forever. What you hear right now goes with you, if you will. And so if you confess your sins now in this life, seeing that there's no goodness in yourself which contributes to your salvation in any way, if you believe none other than Jesus Christ is your one and only mediator, your guarantee in both death and life everlasting, this comfort is yours. It's a comfort not only for your soul, but also for your body. Our second point. Throughout history, there's, there's a strange perception of the relationship between physical things and, and spiritual things. Right? It, it, it's often thought that physical things bad, but spiritual things good. Material bad, immaterial good. This is, this is called dualism, and Christians are quite prone to it. 
Some say that the body is a prison, that the soul must escape, that the body is oppressive. The real you is the soul. Others think that spiritual things must be entirely overcome and replaced by natural things because that natural stuff is inferior. For an example, the monks, the ascetic monks in the Roman Catholic Church and prior, they would beat and punish their own flesh with whips and flails to tame it, to subdue it. They were making it put under the the dominion of the spiritual life in that way. In our broader Western society, dualism has has mixed with uh, naturalism, atheism, or, or Darwinism. And what has that done to our society and our view of, of, of body and soul? There's been an increasing desire to get beyond the limitations of our humanity. That is, to, they say that to progress to the next stage of our evolution, we need to transcend, get beyond our current meaning of being human. There's a seemingly innocent version of this. As Americans are obsessed with health and fitness and body image. Of course, attending to one's health is honoring God, but it can easily become an idol, can't it? For one example, some people undergo a cosmetic plastic surgery or certain body modifications to obtain a purely vain ideal of what makes them beautiful. There's... Also, another fairly new movement right now called transhumanism. Big tech companies and billionaire investors are right now seeking a way for man to kind of live forever. They're trying to figure out how to either preserve our brains or the, the data of our individual brain, of our chemicals, our neurons, to take all that and upload our memories, our our brain's data into a virtual data bank, a a cloud system. This way, our thoughts and our traits, they think, might be preserved long after our bodies are gone. Using this virtual data bank combined with artificial intelligence, we would continue to live on. Maybe someone could even take all that digital information and put it into a robotic body someday. Or something else. Now even atheists. Here's the point there. Even atheists. Who deny spiritual things in their hearts. Still think that immaterial things. Like the mind. Can continue on. Even when the body. Is discarded and long gone. They think. That physical things are inferior. It's dualism. Now, when we look at Isaiah 40, verse 7 and 8, all on its own, that the grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it, and surely all people are grass, there there could be a... we, We could think that Scripture also has little regard for the body. But the passage also says, in the end of verse 8, the word of our God endures forever. In John 1, it's, it's revealed that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, that we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full grace and truth. Right? The Son of God took on 
our fallen and cursed human nature. He took on our flesh, our body, being like us in every respect and yet without sin. As our mediator, Jesus suffered not only in the soul, but also body. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was oppressed and afflicted like a lamb led to slaughter. Our Lord paid the wages of our sin with the righteousness of his life and and the one sacrificial atonement in his death. And he arose on the third day in a glorified human body, freed from the effects of the curse on our human nature. And when he ascended, he ascended with what? A glorified human body. And he sits on the throne at the right hand of God with what? A glorified human body. On this basis, we confess with question and answer 57 that my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. You see, because his body was resurrected and glorified, we too have a guarantee of a resurrected and glorified body. Being united by His Spirit, we have a share in Him and what he, is, what he has been rewarded. The fullness of the Savior's life is ours as a gift. There's a comfort then for these jars of clay. Okay, tempted to sin in the flesh as we are, this means that well, Christ has redeemed it. And by His power, we can fight with our flesh. When you are tired from the wear and the tear of your daily activities, the busyness of your life, there is a rest and there is a strength, a real, heavenly rest and strength. And if you are afflicted with disease, chronic disease even, sickness, all the pain and the suffering that, that comes with it, a day is coming when you will be renewed not only in soul, but your body. And such is true for all who die in true faith. The lame and the crippled, the leper, the blind and the deaf, Lazarus, everyone whom Christ healed in his earthly ministry were just the tiniest signs and samples of the restoration to And anyone who believed at that time that Jesus walked the earth and yet did not to get to visit with him and receive a physical healing, they too would have a total healing on the day of glory. There is hope for these broken, battered, and weary bodies, friends. Until then, he will continue to speak by spirit and word as head of the church. He will continue to call out to us, comfort, comfort ye my people. And it's not just a future comfort. It's not just something we, 
look forward to, uh, that we'll get there eventually, but we enjoy the reality of our benefits in Christ already now and forever. Our third point here. You see how question and answer 58 says, even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. Think of how when you sow a seed in the ground, you trust that it will raise up into a full plant. Right? Yes, it will take water, it'll take cultivation, time and patience, but everything needed for it to yield its produce is already there when the seed's planted, is it not? Well, so too, the Lord, as the great gardener, tends to the seed that he sows in his field. As we said a moment ago, there's affliction, there's struggle, there's doubts, there's temptation. Yet he sees his people through it. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speaking tenderly to Jerusalem, your warfare is ended, your, your iniquity is pardoned. That great warfare over your soul. Okay, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a, a, a repentance without regret, leading us to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. 2 Corinthians 7.10 okay, The way is already sown, in other words, in, in the gospel. The gospel that announces, declares to you, peace, pardon, comfort. Yet the gospel is not only an emotional comfort. It's not just a feeling of ease. The word of the gospel is power. Paul had preached it saying, The Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, the seed of David, according to the flesh, who was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The announcement of who Christ is goes forth in power. So Paul continues, the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The son said to John in his revelation, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of hell and of death. This word spoke to Martha at the graveside of Lazarus, saying, I am the resurrection and the life. The word is real comfort and power because of the resurrected, glorified Christ who endures forever. He is the resurrection. He is the life everlasting. And thus whoever believes, though he die, yet shall he live. We belong to Christ. Having heard that word, having heard the gospel and believing it with faith in Christ alone, we already belong to him now and forever. And our life and our death is already caught up in his death and resurrection. And Paul makes this point in Romans 14.7. None of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again. For this purpose, 
that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Likewise, Jesus, John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing Christ. And that already happens here. The comfort and the power of eternal life manifests itself in the presence, in righteousness, and in peace, and in joy, happiness. If you believe that you belong to Christ, whatever season of this earthly life that you are in or are going to enter into is going to be marked by showing the gospel comfort and power to this world of death. If you know this comfort, and if you know this power, that is, if you know Christ, then tell others. The Spirit of Christ who lives and dwells in you must shine through your mouth to preach good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to the captives, and, and freedom to the prisoners. And yes, I know, it's a heavily Christianized area. Times we might assume everyone's a Christian here. Never assume. Never assume. You don't know. Not always certain about this. Or simply, sometimes people may just need to be reminded of who their God is and how great Christ is. In either case, you are to proclaim the gospel, comfort, and power to all. Speak life to them. As Isaiah says, go, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, you herald of good news. Lift up your voice with power. O Jerusalem, you herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not and say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Let us speak that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And speak of the word that endures forever. Tell of the kingdom of our God and, and demonstrate it. Demonstrate that it's not merely a future hope that we're waiting and wallowing for. No, as our God lives, demonstrate the beginnings of the joy of this life. Right now, with your hands, and bind up the brokenhearted. Humble yourself and kneel, not only to worship the King of glory, but to wash the feet of your neighbor. Show them what life looks like through you. Because through you, the Spirit of God is pointing to the full harvest of comfort and power that already, right now, teeters upon breaking in. Because behold, the Lord God comes with His might and His, His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's put it this way. Does death terrify you, beloved? What we had asked earlier, 
now considering that with what we've said, of who Christ is, does death terrify you, beloved? By faith alone in the death and life of Christ, your warfare is over. And you can say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. Here's a follow-up question. Do your loved ones fear death? Do they know that there has been an end to the war of sin and that death has lost its sting? Do they know that the God of comfort will soon crush Satan under your feet and that he shall cast the serpent into the lake of fire along with the wicked and death itself will be utterly consumed? Do they know? Congregation of the word who endures forever. Believe and proclaim the perfect blessedness which no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no heart has ever imagined. That blessedness in which we praise God eternally in comfort. World without end. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, how good and excellent are your ways and your, your abounding grace that is shown to us. Father, at times when, as we walk in this world, as we go about our business in the week, we, our, our eyes can get fixated on the darkness, on the sadness, on the difficulties. We can get distracted by the pains, the turmoils, and the vision. And yet, Lord, your word, your word, abides. It endures and dwells in our hearts. We ask that you would keep us firmly fixed upon that word and that we would, as long as we remain in this life, continue to walk by faith and not by sight. And that we would always remember this perfect comfort, this power of resurrection life, which we have in Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. Be with us then as we go out into this week each in our vocations and callings of our Lord, of, of our uh, cultural lives, whether as students, as, as employees, as parents, whatever area we are called in. Lord, may we serve you wholeheartedly, and may we testify and bear witness with this life which you have purchased. Bear witness to others that they too would, would know with surety, the comfort that is in you. Here's we ask, O oh Lord, for Christ's sake we pray. Amen.